you got your Bibles, turn to, to 2 Timothy. Uh, but just to kind of begin with, there are some challenges when you talk about a series on the home. And, and one of them is for those that, you know, you say, I don't have kids or they're out of, you know, they're kind of, they've flown the nest and they're, this really doesn't apply to me. But here's how I, I would think I would challenge you this way. When we learn stuff, it's never to be about the self. Learning should push us to want to give. If God is teaching us something, want to give that away to other people. So you think of neighbors, you think of friends, you think of family, that you might actually be be able to walk, even if you don't have children, you're single, you can walk alongside of somebody else and give wisdom and make a difference in their life. That's one issue. But the second one, it would be for those that oftentimes, when, when you hit parenting and marriage, there's a lot of guilt as we look back at our own relationships with our kids, we can get stuck in guilt. And I would say this, don't ever believe that our influencing our children, even if it's grown children, that we're not done. We're, God wants to use us. And uh, even, even there, I, I would say use a series like this to knock on the door of their hearts at times. And, and maybe you need to go to them and you learn something and say, you know what, I, I think I did it this way when I was younger. I communicated this. And what did you hear? And, and actually just ask them and go, you know, tell me what you thought of my parenting. Uh, humility opens the door to relationships. And it gives you maybe the opportunity to influence. So I would encourage you just to, to uh, yeah, uh, allow God to speak to you and to use it. And remember, we're not done. God is not done with us yet. He wants to continue to, to push into us his love and to grow us even till the day we die. A number of years ago, I, I read a book from Josh McDowell. You might know that name. But he, the title of the book was this, The Last Christian Generation. And he was putting forth the premise that the boomers, this would be my generation, really was the, is the last Christian generation that exists in our country. And, and I, to some degree, I think he's right. But in there, there was a story that he begins the book with talking about a dad and a son coming home from college and they're having this conversation and basically it goes something like this is, dad, you know, what you believe is what you believe. I really don't need the church anymore and, you know, things are different right now. And then he drives off to school back to the college and it's a realization that that kind of a scenario is happening way too often when it comes to our students. People aren't young men and women aren't continuing in their faith. They're walking away from the church, the body of Christ. But in that, he, in that book, he gave some research, and it was from, a, from an institute called the, the Nehemiah Institute. And I want to put a couple of stats on the screen on this one. 65% of students wanted a close relationship with God. 49% want to make a difference in this world. 79% considering having a close personal Christian friend as a high priority for their future. See, they're interested in God. Students are still interested in God. They're passionate about spiritual things. But their belief system actually is developing in a very different way. Matter of fact, some more stats. 6% of that group 
embrace a biblical worldview. 63% don't believe Jesus is the son of the one true God. 58% believe that all faiths teach equally valid truths. 51% don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. 65% don't believe Satan is real. And 68% don't believe the Holy Spirit is a real entity. Now, those statistics are about 10 years old. And my hunch, and I'd put money on this, is that they're worse now than they were 10 years ago. Let me put up a kind of a bottom line statement here on the screen. Many young people, too many young people, are willing to embrace a version of Christianity, but not a biblical Christianity. So what do we do? Do we throw up our hands in the air? And I go, no. I think we need to begin to pray. And we need to begin to pray for homes in particular that in one sense that the Holy Spirit comes in and really starts a work that makes a profound difference. Now, if you haven't been here in a while, a couple of weeks ago, I I was trying to present a new model, a new end goal for the issue of parenting. Too often, here's what I kind of hear, is that parents go, I want nice Christian kids. And I'll say this, what is the definition of a nice Christian kid? I don't think there really is a good definition. So don't leave that as your goal. And here to push it farther, someone, I want my kids to follow Jesus. And I say, yes, you want your kid to follow Jesus. But that's, I think, an inadequate end goal of our children. I think this is where we got to go. I want my child to become a discipler a disciple maker, a great commission student, where they are making disciples. That's very different than a nice Christian kid. Last week, I looked at marriages. The issue of marriages is that we're hurting even in the church. The stats aren't any better, really, than the world. And when you ask people, how's your marriage? Fine. That's fine. I go, is that really what we want in the context of the church? I think we need marriages that are marked by the Holy Spirit pouring into their lives the grace and love. We need, matter of fact, parents, I'd remind you of this. Your marriage is a spiritual classroom for your children. They're learning spiritual things through your marriage. And we'll go down that path even more later on. But here's what I, I want to introduce you to a tool I've been using for a number of years here, probably 15 years, uh, but I call it the parenting triangle. And a triangle is this, you'll see God up there, the parent, the child, and, and here's how it goes. We have a personal connection as a parent to God. Now, I, I used a conduit last week, I mean, it might use a hose here today. The idea here is that there's this this conduit, a hose between us and God. God is wanting to pour his love into us. He's wanting to pour his agenda into our lives. Now, some of us have a fire hose and some of us have a garden hose that's kinked off. That's the challenge. And if it's kinked off, it makes a difference in our relationship with Christ. But here's the deal. When a child is young, Realize in that upper corner there that the relationship, they don't really know about God. They, 
you know, they start out, they don't read, they don't understand the Bible, but when it comes to knowing God, it has to flow from God to you, the parent, and then to the child. You're the conduit, it flows through you into the children. And recognize this, is then that you become the source of understanding of who God is at a very biblical age, a very early age. And, and a nuance to this, I think here, uh, uh, Father's Day, I've got to go after you fathers a little bit here today. The, the challenge is many dads go in terms of development of their children. Here, Mom, it's your responsibility. So on Father's Day, Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That does not mean hand your kids off to mom. It means that you are actively involved as a father in that. Now, I have to admit that, you know, in terms of that first part of that verse, I provoke my kids to anger way too often, and I would admit that. But do we, as dads, take that responsibility in terms of an understanding? But let me put another picture up on the screen here for you. Kind of to illustrate that relationship between us as parents and the children. The spiritual realities of our life are being passed down through that funnel into the hose into and onto our children. Now what do I mean by that? We are helping our children learn stuff like this. Who is God? Is God a nice God? Is he an angry God? Is God a a cop who's looking to write you a ticket? Is he a God who doesn't care about sin? That you can do anything you want and it really doesn't matter. Maybe even more this. Do you understand this? That through this hose as well... All of our values are dripping. Drip, drip, drip. Values surrounding what? Money, work, pleasure, education. All of those things are dripping through that hose and onto and into our children. For example, I'll I'll even point out one this morning. You're here this morning. You realize that your attitude towards Sunday morning is being dripping through into the life of your children versus if it's very important or not. We're communicating it very subtly. And remember this, oftentimes we say words, but actions are much more profound in most times than words. But every day that we are communicating, we're teaching something to our our, our children. But there's a statement I want to begin with, but put on the screen for you. And, and look at this statement. I have it in your notes, but I, I do not have a f- what it's filled in. I, I, I'm leaving it blank for you. This statement here, I have no greater joy. Think of that statement in light of your children. I have no, Johnny, I have no greater joy than for, how would you fill in the blank? What would it mean? We are communicating that statement to our children. Now, that statement actually comes from 3 John. I want to show you where it comes from. 
First, uh, third John 1, the elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It, is, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. Gaius has a reputation. You catch that? John, he's hearing about from other people about his friend Gaius. But then look at verse 4. Here's the phrase. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Remember what Jesus said about truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, the challenge for for parents is... Is that how we fill in that statement? That we have no greater joy than that my child is walking in the truth, walking toward Jesus. But here's the tension through that little drip, drip, drip hose. We could be communicating that we have no greater joy than my child be a good student or a good athlete or successful in this world. See, we subtly communicate those things. But here's where we want to go deeper. We want to look at 2 Timothy for a second here this morning because I think this is absolutely critical to the home. It applies to mom and dad. And by the way, this applies to even us as we apply it to our lives if you're single, if you don't have kids. But in this letter, Timothy has kind of been spiritually adopted by Paul. And in third, in Second Timothy, it's, it's Paul's final letter to him. And recognize this, is that Paul is discipling Timothy even during this letter. He's pushing Timothy in his faith. Look how it reads in verse 1, verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and, that, and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you, Timothy, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy's spiritual roots was a mom and a grandma. I hope this is encouragement if you happen to be a single mom or a grandparent, how we still can influence even our grandchildren. But let's go to chapter 3 here and keep going here. Look at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom, whom you've learned it. So we can assume there, at least in part or to a great degree, that that would be Lois and Eunice, okay? Verse 15, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. If we are going to disciple our children, help our children become disciple makers, realize that there is a spiritual progression here that must take place. And it takes time, it's not easy, and it's really connected to our relational entity of who we are as a parent and how we relate to our kids. Now here's, here's what I, I feel like we want as parents. Ken, give me three easy steps to make my kid a disciple maker. Tell me three books that they can read and the Bible. 
and they can read them, and out pops a kid going, I'm going to follow Jesus for a lifetime. And you go, it doesn't exist. It is a step-by-step, day-by-day thing of influencing our kids in a particular direction. But here, recognize, even thinking back to this text, you, you, you catch something here with Lois and Eunice. There's no Sunday school. There's no youth group back in those early days. Everything was done through the home. Yeah, the church was a part of it, but there was no dedicated children's or youth ministry that was geared just for them. The home was the place where faith had to be developed. But there's these phases here. And that first phase really was mom and grandma. And if you're following along in the bulletin outline, I said phase one is this. It is really foundational learning that it must, must happen. What is it? The truth. The scriptures. The knowledge about who God is. God's character. Understanding the gospel. How salvation occurs, knowing and understanding who Jesus is. It, it could include Bible memorization. It could, it could include reading the Bible and stories to your children. But there's an understanding that there's a foundational phase that must take place in our children. But here, look again how it, it, it's written here in verse 14. Let me put it on the screen. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. And you have become convinced of because you know those whom you learned it. This first phase, learning it, while it's to some degree it's about the heart, it has more to do with the head, with knowledge. It's about the biblical doctrine of God that is being put into the minds of our children. See, they can begin to learn it at an early age, but primarily it's head-based. It's not first heart-based. Now here's, again, a, a cautious note here for parents. Many parents assume because there's a knowledge of the scriptures, it equals salvation for their children. And you go, sorry. I've known young men and women who great Bible quizzers. And they know the facts of the, of the scriptures and they can tell all kinds of things about the Bible and who God is. And yet, something's missing in terms of salvation. But you notice that phrase, it does make you wise for that salvation. It's something that needs, that foundation needs to be set in order for the gospel to take root, for faith to happen. And it's critical for us. You know, I I look back, and and you go, when can that faith really be absorbed, even with a limited amount of knowledge? I really believe that I came to Christ and put my faith in him when I was five or six years old. And I believe he was real. Now, was I done yet? Absolutely not. Was I even done in the foundational phase? Absolutely not. But here's where we got to understand as parents, there's another, another phase to it. Look how it's written again in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it. This critical component, phase two, is becoming convinced. 
our children, our youth, even, all, even some of our adult grown kids need to become convinced. People can know the scriptures. You, you look back at the religious elite of that day. They knew the Bible. They knew the prophecy. There was a passion toward obedience. And yet they were never convinced that Jesus was the one to follow. They never gave their allegiance to him. Some of you know this phrase, owning one's own faith. Now, after studying this, I'd like to get rid of that term and and really use the word convinced. I I think it's a little more biblical. Owning one's faith is a little bit nebulous, and you go, what does that really mean? But here's where I I, I think there's an obvious place where kids have to developmentally go where they they can actually become convinced and what age does that begin i I don't know exactly but maybe fourth maybe fifth sixth somewhere in that category i think that they can reason enough and they can begin to understand a concept of what convinced is all about and it's really this is there is an a relational allegiance to jesus It's not just about obedience. It's about an allegiance to the person of Jesus. That's what happened to Timothy here. He became convinced that Jesus is the one beyond knowledge, but that Jesus had to be followed. And there are no magical words to get our children to do this. There's no Bible study. This is a decision of the soul for our children, for our adult children sometimes, and it's still not there. And there's nothing that we can magically do. We, we can't come to our kids and say, I want you to be convinced of Jesus, and if you don't do it, I'm going to ground you from your telephone for 10 days. That just doesn't work. See, Jesus, in a, in a real way, has to become Lord of their lives. This might be at conversion, but oftentimes I don't think it's always at conversion. Matter of fact, I think most of the time it's not. I I look back, and as I was processing this even in my own life, I think this, where I really became convinced, I got saved at five or six, and and I think it was after I got married, I came to a place where I would go, Ken, you have to be convinced that life is going to be about Jesus. It took me that long. But here's the hard reality for us. Kids can fake being convinced. We have to admit that. I was talking to another adult, telling them where I was going on Sunday. And they admitted to me, they said this, Ken, I faked it in high school, all through high school. It really wasn't real for me. And he asks the question, why do they do that? And it's this. They want to please mom and dad. It's a pleasing mechanism. And here's the other maybe slice for some kids. You know, I had one kid who was much more prone to do what he wanted to do, and the other one was very compliant. And if you have compliant kids, you know what? They're going to just want to please you, and they're going to talk to talk, and they're going to 
walk the walk, but do they have necessarily a relational allegiance with Jesus? And the answer is no. Are they convinced? No, not necessarily. It has to start in the hearts. Where Jesus becomes number one, where they begin to understand, and they hear that where Jesus comes along and said, take up your nets and follow me. And when it clicks for a student, they really begin to follow Jesus. And it's not just trying to please mom and dad. They take up their nets, whatever that means, and they begin to walk with Christ in a new way. Many people, though, many kids, are are wanting to just keep moms and dads off their backs. But you can't force it. You can't tell them it. And, And here's the deal. Compliant kids can grow up and phase even into the life of the church and never be convinced and still be committed to a church. There are plenty of adults who are active and committed to a church and never have been convinced. They're living a religious lifestyle that works for them. You can even find adults, I think, in the adult world who are still actually trying to please their older adult parents. And yet they're not convinced about Christ. Now, one irony, as I was pondering this piece here, see, I believe this, is that one can actually be an unconvinced parent and be wanting and communicating, at least in words, for their child to be convinced. You catch that? See, here's the challenge for us. The things we value, the lifestyle, whispers to our children that mom and dad are either really convinced or not convinced. And when they see us and hear us, and in their conclusion, they're going... Mom and dad really aren't that convinced. And what they interpret it as is this word, hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. Do you understand the challenge then at that point as a parent? But here's where, as we progress and wanting our kids to become convinced, there is a third phase for us as well. I want to put back up the triangle again. And phase three, I said it this way. It becomes a relational reality. See, the end goal of parenting is not to have a permanent hose between God and us and the child. We are called to release our children and try to help them in whatever way we can to have a relationship directly between them and the triune God himself. We want that relationship to create a heart-to-heart bond where the child is bonding with who God is, the God of this universe. But again, if they're not convinced, this, is, this won't happen. It won't happen. But let me try to restate that in, in a, some, using some different words, a new vision on this relationship between the child and and God. The goal for our children is not just to follow Jesus, but that Jesus becomes their source of life. 
and the life becomes about Jesus. And it's a process to get there. It's not just a, a moment over time. It's a, it's a, it's a time. There's, there's time involved in that. But this is more than just convincing them that Jesus is Lord. It goes beyond duty and obedience. It's where they're learning that, even Father's Day, that they're beginning to grasp, I have a Heavenly Father, Abba, Father. See, that's more of a, a relational bent. Where they're beginning to look at Jesus and say this, Jesus is becoming my friend, and he's a friend to me, my best friend. This is about abiding in Christ, John 15, and him abiding in our hearts and our kids' hearts where the mind and the will and the soul, he's feeding into that, into our children. Let me show you a passage that I, I think speaks to this reality and in this one, Jesus is saying, he's talking to a group who are, who are not convinced. Okay, but look at the phrasing in John chapter 5. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that want to bear witness about me. The scriptures are pointing to me is what he's saying. But they have no relational understanding of Jesus. But look at verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me, Jesus, that you may have life. Now be careful how we read this. We say we come to Jesus to make life work. That's not what this verse is communicating. Jesus is life. Life itself is to be about Jesus. He is the source of life. See, I'm convinced that people are working hard for Jesus, hoping that Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. But they've never come to the sense of going, Jesus is my friend, and I owe my allegiance to him, and he is the one that loves me the most. And that Jesus gives me life through the relationship. See, parents, are we getting to that point of discipling our children? This isn't just about dropping our kids off at church. It, it's our conduit, our hose. Are we filling that up? Are we pouring that into them? But at some point, the goal is to disconnect it from us and want them and the triune God to be, that's the relationship that we're shooting for. It's not about us anymore. Yeah, we move from information, knowledge, to begin to coach them. But at some point, Jesus needs to become their coach. And all of a sudden, even beyond that, Jesus and God needs to be their Abba Father. A different place. And here's the hard part. What are we modeling to our kids in front of our children? See, do we look at Jesus and say, Jesus, just make my life work? For me. Is that what they're watching and seeing in us? Or are we looking at some point to encourage them that your real source of meaning is for you to have a connection directly across to God? Let me try to give some pieces, though. Just give one snippet, an illustration, where our language needs to begin to change as we communicate this. We got to stop talking at our kids. And whatever we can do, we're going to go there next week even more. How do we have conversations that begin to try to encourage a 
a relationship directly between them and God. When my kids hit the dating age, I had been taught, really discipled in one sense, to do something a little different in that area. And this isn't, this isn't from me. I learned this from somebody else. One of the language issues that we learned as, as parents, Deanna and I learned, is that a new goal for our children's dating. And this is how I, I stated it for them. Andy, you are ready to date another girl when you know what it means to present that girl complete in Christ. I use Colossians 1, 28 and 29. But here's what it fundamentally means. As a result of you dating, I'll use Mindy was one of his girlfriends, is that you had an attitude that would actually be saying this, Andy, when you date Mindy, that you are looking to move Mindy closer to Christ. You, maybe this language, Mindy, you, or Andy, you were called to disciple Mindy, the one that you date. You feel the difference in dating? Dating is not just a relationship that leads to marriage someday. It's a place where our children can actually begin the disciple-making even while they're in school. Our children can actually be in a dating relationship where they're moving the other person toward Christ. And here's, oftentimes, not, not a lot, but a few times, I, I just throw the question, hey, Andy, did you present Mindy complete in Christ last night? But what was I trying to do? You understand, ultimately, the accountability is not with me. I wanted his relationship to be directly across and accountable to Christ himself. To Christ himself. So what he did on that date, he was first accountable to Jesus. And as he was looking on that date, you understand what I want him to really understand is that Jesus was on the date with him. And what he did reflected in his relationship with Christ. See, that's different than just setting up a bunch of rules, do this, one, two, three, four, when you date. We want our kids to be having a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And we hand them off to Jesus. And we want them to become a disciple-maker, a discipler where the kingdom of God become more important than the relationship with us as parents. We want our kids to become kingdom players on mission for Jesus. And folks, this is so much more than just wanting my kid to attend church when they go away to college. It's so much more than just getting married to a nice girl and have nice kids or to attend and serve at a nice church when you grow up and you get older. No, this is about disciplers who are on mission with Jesus and God, even as they move into a career, that that part of their life just flows right with them no matter what they're doing for their, the rest of their lives and into every relationship that they have. You catch the challenge for us as parents. But let me just add just a couple pieces to end here. Maybe some more phrases to what this might look like. It's this. Our sons and daughters, their affirmation and love is not first and trying to please is not mom and dad. 
It's Christ and the Father, Son, Spirit. They're looking to move away from self and they're looking to please and worship Jesus. Their identity is not around their work and sports and career or even being a mom and dad or a family. It's Jesus. See, the energy in life does not come from my family or my friends. It comes from a bond with the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's how I got to end. As our children look at us, do they see us and do they know that we are convinced? And second, do they see us growing in that relationality, in that relationship of allegiance and and pleasing Christ? Do they see us moving in that direction? It starts with us often. And we're going to go down that path more. Now, if if you're single here today, you're a student, you understand how this applies to every person here. If you're a student, you you don't have to wait for your, your parents. This isn't your parents' choice. Ultimately, you are accountable for being convinced. And my encouragement, draw near to God and he's going to draw near to you. It's not your parents' decision to make you convinced. You must be willing to take up your net and begin the journey of following Christ. And he will change you. He'll pull you into that other category. Let's stand and pray.